If you're looking to take a step up and you don't have the resources internally, that would be a good time to start exploring it. There's a lot out there. So I would really advise brands to take their time when they're choosing an agency. You're listening to the Let's Talk Marketing Podcast hosted by me, Katya Allison. So what have you gotten yourself into? I'm sure that's what you're wondering. In short, it's a good time. We're going to have great conversation. And you know what, folks? There's going to be a little bit of learning along the way. And that's going to be done through insightful interviews with top marketers, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders. I get to explore the latest trends, techniques, and strategies in this wonderful world of marketing. I'm here to offer you engaging and informative discussions to help you stay up to date on the latest trends and take your marketing skills to the next level. In today's episode, we are covering finding the right marketing agency to work with as a marketer. And we're doing that with my guest, Jesse DeBear. Jesse is a mastermind behind DeBear Direct, a consultancy dedicated to streamlining scalability for D2C and performance agencies and service providers. With a wealth of experience as an accomplished marketing executive, he is focused on delivering results. So let's get to it. Let's talk marketing, marketing agencies specifically with Jesse. Welcome to the Let's Talk Marketing podcast, Jesse. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm doing great. How are you doing? I am pretty much living the dream. I'm excited to have you on here. We're going to be talking about hiring a marketing agency as a marketer, which I think is like a fun twist for our listeners as well, too. Before we do dive into that, I really want everybody to just get to know you a little bit. So I've got my standard questions. Are you ready for them? I am very ready. Fantastic. I hope so. Yeah, well, it's too late now. You're in it, Jesse. You're in it. (laughs) I always like to give people like this big overview of what your first marketing role was and anything as your first that you would consider marketing role and then what your current role is. Sure. Oh, my God. So I jumped into marketing immediately when I got out of school. I majored in marketing in college, too. So it's, yeah, hard to differentiate like what the first big role was. But my first gig was an old school DRTV affiliate coupon program sales. I was at a company on the East Coast called Virtue, and we did uh, free credit scores. So if you remember from back in the day, there was the commercials with the three guys in the spandex outfits that had the credit score across their chest. And there were two like strong looking guys with hundred credit scores. And there would be one short fat guy with like a, a Halloween mask on, the hockey mask. Not, it's not very inclusive. <laughs> yeah. So that was freescore.com. That was my first role. And then I had a series of jobs on the brand side after that. I was at a wine boutique like wine flash sale company called Lottie Tea, which was a lot of fun. It was short-lived, unfortunately, because the company wasn't doing great, but it was it was probably the most fun I had at a brand early in my career. Big role, I was at Guthy Ranker, which was like a direct response behemoth working on proactive. And then I switched completely from the brand side over to the agency side, which I know is what we're going to talk about a lot when I joined Mute6 back in 2017. 
So I built the client success department there, which was a lot of fun. It was a battle, you know, going from startup mode to scaling and we were acquired, which was uh, really exciting. And then I went and formed my consultancy after that, which focused on agency advising or focuses on agency advising, which I think is really cool. And I haven't really run into much competition in the space. So people have been really open to trying to get advice from how to grow and scale your agency. I love that. And what I really like is that it really is for most marketers and much like yourself, as you've just described, it's an evolution in marketing as a marketer because everything is moving so fast and trends, you have to keep up with them as well too. And it changes the job. When I think about like when I first, I did not major in marketing, but my background is communications and PR. And when I think about like when I went to school, they were still talking about fax machines, which definitely ages me. But I'm like, none of that information that I learned is totally transferable into what marketing looks like. Now about what you currently do as it pertains to just kind of advising for marketing agencies, what is it that you love about what you do? But conversely, if you could pluck anything out of what you currently do from a marketing perspective, what would that be? So let's start with the positive. What do you love about what you do? What I love about what I do, I think it's just working with different performance and digital agencies and seeing how they all have a different approach. What I've found to be the most fun, which is not really what my focus was when I got into it, is recrafting like the product narrative, which really ties into the sales pitch. It's essentially like redoing your sales pitch. But I don't do like full, you know, biz dev consulting because it's not my background. But when it comes to like client experience and client enhancement and your ability to retain and grow and scale, but also like really upsell additional services, it all tied back to the story. What is your product? And like, why are you different? Because these agencies all really do the same thing. It's media buying, it's creative, planning, measurement. So how do you differentiate yourself outside of just the marketing that surrounds like the brand of the agency? And what I found is when I started really digging in with a lot of shops that I work with is that they all do have some unique identifier that they're sitting on. There's something from the founder that has trickled into their approach that's different and they don't even know how to communicate that. So my favorite thing about what I've done or, or what I've been doing is really just helping them pull that unique identifier out and then we redo the way that they pitch their product. And the whole goal about that is answering one question, which is why should you sign with us? And I think it's cool working with, because I work with a bunch of agencies that are all direct competitors with each other. It's important for me to not carbon copy and I want them all to be unique. So to be able to pull that out and help them like have a different answer and really learn from each one that I work with, I think that's been the most fun. Yeah, and you bring up actually a really good point when you mentioned not wanting to, you didn't say cut and paste, but that's what I'm interpreting it at. I think the workflow is something that you can take with you regardless of wherever you go, but every product, every agency, every brand is so unique that it's not going to work in the exact same way. So it's almost like you have to do like a, a bit of testing. It's why I think that all marketers answer any sort of marketing question with, it depends, tell me more, right? There's so much more information before you can answer just a straight question. But 
It can all be butterflies and sunshine and flowers. So tell me what you would pluck out of it. If there's anything that you could pluck out of it from like the day to day, what would that be? If I could pluck out, meaning remove from my life completely. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Don't name a person. It's tough because it's probably like the thing that I sell a lot in terms of process and procedure, but like actually putting together SOPs and just like executing on process for someone else's business is it's boring. It's like necessary, but it's boring. Like I like the more fun, let's sell your story and put together a new plan. It's fine because I have a lot of that stuff built out that I deliver, but it is the nitty gritty part of that's really what they need help on. But it's the boring kind of let's get this on paper and get this set up and get it into little folders and accessible to everyone. So I'd love to remove that completely. Naming conventions, project management tools. It is so true though. I talk to marketers all the time. To me, it's always so interesting. The consistent part is it's that part that's not creative, right? That is the thing that you want to pluck out. And I really view marketing as a creative job. Like you're trying to come up with different solutions. And the goal as a marketer is really to ensure that you are creating a toolkit that you're always able to pull from so that you can focus mainly on the creativity part. Because gosh, when you get that spark an idea, that's my jam for sure. Yeah. But there's, I think there's a difference between marketers and marketing, right? Marketers don't yeah. want to have all this process. They want to be creative. You're either going to be really creative or really analytical, but either way, they want to just be left alone to create and just leave you alone. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) And you have to be able to stay up to date on trends. And with the digital landscape being what it is, I'm really curious if you turn to social media networks for inspiration, entertainment, and education. And if you do, which ones do you pull from? For example, are you getting knowledge or education from LinkedIn? Or do you not do anything at all? Are you entertained by TikTok? Tell me more, Jesse. Do you use that? Yes. And they all have a different role, I think, in how I'm staying up to date and educating myself. For just general like marketing and business awareness and trends, LinkedIn and Twitter, I would say, or X are really, yeah, are really the big ones. X is very helpful for a lot of, there's just a lot of people in the D2C space that use it to share and I think that's become a big trend recently, like in the space for a lot of founders and entrepreneurs is to build in public and really share a lot of their secrets, which I really don't look at as a flex because they're still like, hey, yeah, we want everyone to win. We're going to share it. You just need to execute on it if you can. But there's been a lot in terms of building threads on Twitter X that's happened for years. You just look at D2C, Ecom, Marketer, Twitter. It's a really valuable resource. LinkedIn is very similar but it's a lot of self-promotion and branding as well. So like, yeah, you have to follow the right people, but you also have to pay attention to cut through the noise. So there's a lot of sharing in order to build a following and get your name out, but it's not always, I think, the most educational 100% of the time where I've seen some a little bit of a different thing on Twitter X because there's just more people especially before it became X, you were limited in your character count. So people's engagement with posts would really be like, they had to keep their point really tight, which I think helps really drive the message in, especially as you're going back and forth between different marketers. 
for just like kind of advertising trends, obviously stick to the platforms where the ads are being served. So as much as I would love to pull myself away and out of Instagram and TikTok and even YouTube to a degree, just have to stay on top of what other brands are doing. I've got to be able to go into conversation being like, oh, this is what I've been seeing in my feed recently. These are the trends that are popping up on how creators are delivering their message. TikTok is like the premier spot right now because everything's being developed TikTok first and then it's being applied to Meta, Instagram and feed. And then on YouTube as well for YouTube shorts, but that's really where the trends are starting and where they're being set at the moment. Nice. Now, outside of social media, how else do you stay up to date on trends? Aside from this podcast, do you listen to podcasts? Do you read like books? Is there a newsletter? Is there a community group that you're part of that like you either want to give a shout out to or say, hey, this really helps me stay up to date on things? Yeah. So when I was at my last agency job at Mute6, we had an e-marketer account, which can be pricey. But I will say that was the best source of information for me, I think, to find trends, to find specific data. I would say the best way to do it now on a budget, if you're not going to pay for an e-marketer subscription, is newsletters. There's a lot now. So again, it's something that is can be difficult to cut through the noise. But like the D2C newsletter that Pilot House puts out is great. There's Stacked Marketer, which is great. The original really is Morning Brew, but they've got segments of their newsletter. So there's Marketing Brew that you can subscribe to. And oh my God, there's one that I'm... Oh, Charter is another great one where it's basically just visualized like graphs and charts of things that you wouldn't even think about in your normal life that you might want to see like in a data format. So I think like just jumping on to newsletters where you can get a compilation of articles and things that are out in the ether sent directly into your inbox every morning, that's probably the the most efficient way to, to do it and stay on trend. I love it. We're going to have to definitely make a note of that for our listeners as well, too, so that they can go back and start to subscribe to some of those newsletters. Yeah, newsletters, of course, podcasts like this one. Exactly. If you're not subscribed, you should definitely subscribe and get it in your box every Tuesday. That was just a little plug for me. Thank you very much. Let's get started talking about marketing, specifically working with a marketing agency as a marketer. When you originally pitched this, I was like, God, that's that's interesting. And then I really started thinking about it. Like at every company that I've worked at, I have been on the end where a marketing agency is at some point have to engage with them. I also have a marketing agency background, so I've seen the other end of that. So it's an interesting conversation because I think that there are a lot of people that miss out on exactly what it is that you're looking for when you say, okay, I want to get a marketing agency. Because truth be told, it's probably something that is done out, not by the person who's heading up marketing, right? Like it usually comes from like the C-suite or executives saying that they need to. So I'd love to understand the different kind of types of marketing agencies that there are out there, just so that we give everybody an overview of just the different focuses from a marketing agency. They're not all necessarily cut from the same cloth. Some of them have specialties. So tell me a little bit about the different types. Yeah. So it's a really great and I think like simple question, but it has a really broad and complicated like answer to when and how to choose an agency. 
So there's a lot of different uh, ways to look at it. So first of all, if you are a brand or an e-commerce business, there's a lot to do with like your size, your stage, and when it makes sense to A, first be exploring agencies as a solution, but what types of agencies that you want to look at. Of course, there are the really big ones. There's like the big five, like the groups that are more traditional marketing. I kind of live in the e-com performance world, so I avoid those. Also, I think that they're very like bloated and corporate and you get that old school, like corporate America mentality. Pricing is going to match that. And like the way that your, their price points are going to match that as well. So in the e-com space, if you're looking at like performance shops where they're buying media to tie back to every dollar of revenue that you're earning, a lot depends on like where you are as a brand in your stage of development. If you're early stage and you're on a budget, maybe not the best time unless you raise money and you can actually afford to invest in, in outsourcing a, a full team. If you're mid-stage and you're looking for a scale, that makes a lot of sense like to start exploring because they can bring a lot of resources to the table. You're not just saying, I'm going to hire a media buyer that hopefully can work all the major channels or as an expert just in one where we rely on one. But you can have shared resources to run your paid social, your Google, your email, they're going to come with additional resources like creative, copywriting, things like that. So if you're looking to take a step up and you don't have the resources internally, that would be a good time to start exploring it. There's a lot out there. So I would really advise brands to take their time when they're choosing an agency. There's more ad agencies in existence now in the US than there have ever existed in history, mostly because everything's digital and it's a skill that can easily be learned, not easily mastered because there are certainly greater marketers that can sell and pitch a story and a product better than others. But it's a skill that like is easily learned and we're just seeing so many people pop up. Like they learn it. They're like, I can do this on my own. Do like a smaller agency, something that's a little bit more boutique. So going in and saying, okay, what do you really want out of the agency? You want dedication, you want talent. You want someone that's basically going to be a partner for your brand. If you're a small e-com store and you've got a lot of money in it, a lot of people put their life savings into trying to build their dream and sell a product that they came up with and have a lot on the line. Like you really want to feel that you can trust the folks that are working directly on your account. So the larger the agency, it's like the more work you have to do in terms of due diligence and making sure that you've got like the right people on your team. If a brand is a little bit further along, you're larger, might not be, hey, like we want to outsource everything. It could be we're outsourcing one component of it. We just want to jump into TikTok and we don't have the skills here. We need a TikTok creative agency or someone that's going to run like the full funnel and set us up on TikTok shops and produce the amount of volume, the creative volume that's needed to make that platform work. You can look for a specialized shop there. I have worked at brands where we had full like internal teams, like an internal agency model, but over time things get flat, right? You've got the same team working on the same brand product for two, three years. And it's how much more innovation is coming out of these folks. Not to say that you have people that like after that short period of time, they're not of value anymore, but agencies are going to be more on the cutting edge than your internal team. So as the time starts shifting, and you have big changes like iOS 14 a couple of years ago, TikTok's like massive growth. All the changes that have happened on Google in terms of like cookies that are starting to disappear. Like you want to have people that are doing 
making these changes frequently across multiple accounts so they can come to you and have real expertise and a little bit more on the pulse of what the current like trend, the current changes, everything that's working across their other businesses that they can actually bring to you and try and give you that boost if you're a little bit flat. What I'm hearing you say then is there are a variety of different types of agencies that really cover broad to very niche topics. And what we really want everybody to look at is what are your overall goals that you have? What is your budget? Because I think budget really plays into it. What stage are you at in your business? I think that speaks to the smaller, large, right? And then the piece that I really loved that you mentioned was taking your time. I think this is a really great example of slow down the speed up, right? You're engaging with a marketing agency because you want to be able to do more. And there's this thought process that, okay, as soon as I hire someone, then all of these things are going to produce, right? And there's so much in this like relationship building as you're trying to identify which marketing agency you want to work with that is going to play into it. At least I know that from my end, right? I love that you like boutique agencies. I think that they're like... There is something to be said about like the boutique feel of an agency, right? Like it feels much more like a partnership. You get more attention because they're more selective about who they select versus an agency that's a little bit bigger. I think I've worked, well, I'm not going to call out the big agency that I've worked with. I've worked out, yeah, that's, that seems like a bad call. I might want them on the podcast at some point. Like I've worked with the bigger agencies that, man, they've got so many people, but it's almost like, adding so many people removes you so much from like your brand a little bit. I don't know if you agree with that. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And it's like, you know, I, I like boutique agencies, but it's not just boutique, right? I think midsize, but as long as they're independently owned agencies, like that's really innovation is going to be, I think like the founders are usually marketers themselves. They're trying to develop something that is new and different. They live and die by their success rate with clients. So I think that mentality is what you want to cascade down into the rest of their organization. I've worked with agencies that are really boutique, that are 20 people, and some that are 100, 120 people. And they still have a nice sweet spot, that 120 employee size, if they've got something that's innovative. They've got technology that like their founders develop that sets them apart. They have an approach that their founders, founder or founding teams like have taken coming from whatever their past experience was, that's really unique to what they do. So as long as you've got, I think, the right leadership in place, which is definitely something you should look for when you're choosing an agency, you want to see and like really spend time asking questions about like, well, what is the approach? What's the mentality? How is everyone motivated? How are they compensated in terms of keeping them hungry and dedicated to your account? But like understanding what makes you guys different and why did that approach, like, why is that the approach that you guys as an agency have put in front of your clients? So true. Asking what their approach is, is really huge versus saying, can you do this, this, this? Because I always find that when I open it up in that way, can you do landing page design? We can do it all. You can't really do it all. What's your, what is your sweet spot? Nobody can do it all unless your team is really large and they're so specialized. But even that... I don't know. I really question that. There's this, maybe I have trust issues, but there is something to be said about someone who says we can do it all. I know that you can't do it all. Just tell me what your specialty is. And that's totally fine. I need that kind of transparency in order to know 
what my next move. Is. I think you hit it right there on the head with the trust issues, right? Like that is right because they are. If you're talking to a full funnel agency, like they are supposed to do all of those things. They are supposed to say, like, yeah, we've got capabilities across every aspect of what you're looking for, but we know that they're not going to excel at every single one of those items. So landing pages is a really good example. It's okay. Do you do landing pages? Yeah, of course we do them, but what's your strategy behind doing them? Are you just going to put together uh, just landing page templates and you you're just have a page that like we can send traffic to, or is it going to be integrated into the larger strategy and how does that work? And then not only how does it work, but show me, give us examples. So I think like when I talk about taking your time and choosing an agency, it doesn't mean spend a long time. It just means spend like allocate enough time to dig in to each one that you're speaking with or being pitched by to try and uncover like every red flag, maybe not every red flag, but uncover every like aspect of how they're going to approach your business. I think it's about being thoughtful. I think essentially that's what both you and I are saying is that we be thoughtful with your selection. I also think one of the questions that I like to ask is, what are you known for? Because I think that's a, a creative way to get them to like really identify what their sweet spot is. And I, I like it when agencies play a little hard to get. I want them to be selective, right? Because it means that they're taking just as much time. It is, that shows me that they truly want like a relationship and a partnership. And Again, it goes back to that trust that we were talking about earlier as well, too. So I think it really shines a light on that. Now, before we got online, we were going to focus on performance agencies. So in light of the fact that we've talked about like boutique agencies, we talked about full funnel. What do you mean when we, with the term performance agency? Yeah. Performance marketing is really just, you're not buying impressions, you're buying sales. I think that's really like the simplest way to just describe it. So what you're doing is every dollar that you're spending has to be tied back to revenue that's being returned. Like it's got to be tied back to an ROI in a positive fashion and then constantly optimizing your ad campaigns. So in a more traditional like advertising sense, like a bigger brand, like a Coca-Cola could go to a big five agency and say, hey, we have $10 million of budget that we're going to spend. And all they're doing is buying impressions, right? So they're just running ads, not necessarily being tied back to like super efficient sales. So on the performance side, you're doing the opposite of that. It's you have to acquire customers for me. And impressions are secondary. And that if you're like buying media in, in Facebook meta, let's say, you could be spending money and the CPMs are going to be much higher than what you would see in traditional advertising. The cost to acquire a customer might be higher, but you're going to get more customers with much fewer impressions than when you're just blasting your brand out. So it's a lot more just surgical, right? It's got to be very efficient in terms of like how you're targeting the best possible consumers. And then a performance agency is really just going to run that type of marketing. Everything that they do is for ROI, the channels that they're running on, the way that they're establishing their budgets, all the data that they're driving, that they're delivering back in terms of like how we're looking at and driving success, how they're approaching their media mix. But really, and I think this is a big part of the conversation, a bigger part of the conversation now than it has been the last, let's say, five-ish years, is the performance creative. How are we making ads that are snackable, informative, authentic, but at the end of the day, getting someone to pull out their credit card? 
I always like to simplify, like, it's not just about getting a sale or getting a conversion, but get your credit card out. How do we get that delivered in our messaging? So that's really what a performance agency should encapsulate. I think that oftentimes that's what everybody thinks marketing is getting. It should be, obviously. Like the goal is awareness and obviously to make a positive business impact, which is at the end of the day, sales, revenue, and whatnot. I think there are a couple of things that I wanted to unpack that you were talking about when it comes to like performance agencies, because I want our listeners to be very clear with that. And mainly because I've worked with so many executives that anticipate bottom of funnel performance day one when you engage with a marketing agency. So if you could, I don't know, just speak to a little bit of what are the expectations or what should your expectations be if you're like, great, I've totally identified this performance agency. I love them. I have a good relationship with them. I trust them. It totally fills this need that I have because I need I, I need to close the gap. I need to make that revenue. What are the expectations though? They should be eyes wide open with. No, they need time. A new team coming in. Look, it depends on every situation. If you're established brand and they're re- you're really just going to them to ramp up resources or something like that, maybe you already have bottom funnel operating and they're going to optimize it. Sure, it might be a shorter period of time, but. I definitely think any new team, regardless of the amount of due diligence that happens ahead of time or the strategy that they've planned, they don't really know until they get in there and they start optimizing and running ads against your audience. So any new team agency, even if it's internal, right? Like they need time to ramp up. I think a 30 to 60 day window as like a litmus test to decide if we're moving in the right direction or not. Not are we getting ROI that quickly, but are we moving in the right direction? And do I have confidence that we're approaching that? I think that's a fair amount of time. New agency may be completely redoing the account architecture. They may be completely redoing all of the creative and the messaging. They may be building out new funnels, which take time, right? So that goes back to, are they making new landing pages? But really, I want them to be building a customer journey. And if that's new, that's going to take time. So how do we tie a whole campaign together for a unique and new customer experience? And if those things get built out, they might be great and they can also be the wrong approach and fail. So I think there's a lot of being patient as long as they are delivering their strategy in a really coherent and understandable way. As long as you have a lot of confidence in terms of, okay, great, we're definitely doing the right things. We're moving in the right direction. I really like what I'm seeing. But of course, if there's not ROI, and that's the thing with performance marketing, you're an e-com company and like you're bootstrapped or you're like, you are paying your bills based on the revenue that's coming in. There will be a period of time where it's like patience is running out, even if you love the team. So there's a balance that you have to find in terms of like your confidence in the strategy and the execution and what's actually working and delivering sales. Well, and I think you providing this guideline of 30, 60 days, you should know if you're heading in the right direction with that emphasis underlined and bold of the right direction. Because it's true, like you may not be seeing the ROI 30, 60 days into it, but it should be trending in that direction. You should be able to see this. If I have to completely sell you the vision at day 60, then some like, 
either something's off a little bit and you're not looking into it and I want you to look into it. And I, I think being able to report on that, that you're moving in the right direction is really key. You know, before I hit, I could probably talk to you for an hour about this. But before I hit my final question, I do have this question for you in regards to reporting, right? So what should we be asking for if we know that we're not going to necessarily see in like the 30, 60, 90 days, like this revenue, these sales numbers, what does trending in the right direction look like? Yeah. So it's a really good question. I want to break it down by like the different KPIs at each stage of the customer journey, right? So you've got everything that's on the front end, which is basically your creative performance. And then you've got your backend metrics, which is really going to be like your conversion performance. So conversion is where the ROI is going to be, but we need to make sure that like we're getting, that the creative is actually compelling. That's being served, that you're getting high click-through rates, that you're getting view rates. The term thumb stop rate is used really often, which is essentially like your three-second view rate to mean that like someone actually stopped on the ad and watched it. So coming into a new agency, they should have either during the pitch or at least during onboarding run, preferably during the pitch before you sign, but performed an audit on your existing account and identify like areas that are lacking. So that can be, do you have a conversion problem or do you have a creative problem? If your conversion rate's high, but the volume coming in is really low, and we want to focus on like, okay, how are we making improvements there? I would start looking at, okay, we're at 30 days, 60 days. We got our new creative launched. What are we seeing on the front end? Did we start seeing improved thumb stop rates, improved click-through rates, did our overall traffic to site increase? If that happened, then that's great. It's like they identified a problem and we're seeing that, that problem start to, to dissolve. It's moving in the right direction. We're on a better track. If conversion stayed up, then it's okay, great. We feel really confident and we want to make sure that we've got a plan of to continue iteration. If the traffic really increased and conversion didn't stay, right? Like maybe it was high because we had high intent traffic coming in before and now we've opened up the floodgates and it's not there. Then you want to push them on, okay, what are we doing to make improvements here? Do we get CRO recommendations? Are we going to get new landing pages, new customer journey funnels built out? So all of that ties into like their ability to report just on like in the simplest form, purely getting interest from cold audiences, driving that traffic into conversion. You can get more complicated with reporting once you start throwing in new channels and you want to build your media mix and look at it like fractional credit through attribution. There's tools that can work that way. And there's a lot of different approaches for media mix modeling to just making a a decision on, okay, how much budget do we want to allocate towards each channel based on like our perceived value? But that's something that as a marketer, you have to continue to experiment with through a lot of different testing. So I always try and simplify what do you know that you can improve, focus there, and everything else is a hypothetical that you can always, you know, test and iterate against. I think, you know, focusing on your gaps is really important also because that is where you're going to get most of your wins anyways. And it makes a huge difference. I don't think that going into any sort of business brand and whatnot, not everything sucks. Even someone who's not doing all the things, not everything sucks. Something is working if the lights are still on is my point of view on things. So, but what can we improve? And I think for me as a marketer, I call that like the low hanging fruit. I'm like, these are my easy wins. I want to get on the board 
And if I can get on the board, if I can score, I'm going to say score some touchdowns. I love to use sports analogies, even though I'm totally not, to but I'm totally not equipped to use analogies in that respect. But what I will say is like, I do, I want to get on the board. I want a touchdown. And to me, I can do that with this low hanging fruit. And I feel like it's so in. Like I said, I could probably talk to you forever on this. I will get to my final question though. So here's my final. If you knew then what you know now, what is the marketing advice that you give to yourself? Oh man, I think I'll start with actually just career advice before marketing advice because marketing is just changing this drastically. I would have probably pushed myself to be more entrepreneurial younger because I started very much in the corporate structure and then the entrepreneurial world didn't really open itself to me until I was like seven to eight years into my career. And at first it was very chaotic and crazy, but then it was really eye-opening where I was like, wait, corporate life is not what business is. Like it's a bunch of BS. Like it really is. And I think it was really eye-opening and it made everything more exciting. I think it definitely helps showcase opportunity, showcase that this is how you make a career, not just have a job. And there's a big difference there when you're bought in and you realize that I can actually make changes on something that will be impactful to my ability to earn money and earn income. And that I don't have to sit around and just be like, oh, we'll give you a small raise every two years. <laughs> you know, but like you can have a big raise every month if you really look for ways uh, to either incentivize yourself or build an incentive program within, you know, your role or go into business for yourself. And I see all these folks that got into it early and it's great. That's so cool. And I try and push a lot of people who are coming out of school or young in their career to really not be so tied to just, I have to have this job, but try and find something else that you can do on the side. I feel like I still got into it more in my late twenties, which is still very early relatively. But I think that's something that it's, you should try and, and do something on your own as early as possible. That's interesting advice. I think some people are more apprehensive about the entrepreneurial, but I love that for you. I think it's very scary. So it's easy to be apprehensive. The trick is just surrounding yourself with other entrepreneurs. And I know that sounds a lot easier than like it might seem, right? Because you're like, where do I find them? They're everywhere. They are. They're, they're, they're really everywhere. And it's like, just surround yourself with people that like are, have a mentality to challenge the norm and find really good mentors. And it doesn't mean that you have to do it like overnight, but I think like just being in the right mindset and being around people that have that mindset, that really helps push and motivate people. Because if you just stick in the corporate structure, you're going to be around that kind of mindset. And that's something you can always fall back on. I think early in your career, if you take risks and you fail, like it's okay, you can recover. You can recover a lot more easily than you can later when you have a mortgage and like kids. <laughs> and like that's the risk trail. is Yeah, and it's like the risk is greater. So I think that's a big benefit to try and like motivate someone who's like just starting in their career to to try and take more risk. 
You know, and it's interesting that you say that too, because I classically say that I am a risk averse person. And you think that if you go with an established company and if you go more on this corporate route, that this is safe. It's so much better than going this entrepreneur route, which in that case, like you're betting on yourself, which I think goes a long way. But the truth of the matter is, I don't know that there's anything that is completely secure. I got laid off twice this year. That is, and that, and it felt like out of nowhere and it's not due to lack of work. So it really did make me think at some point though, should I have bet on myself versus going on like the bet of somebody else that has that entrepreneurial spirit? So I like what it is that you're saying. Yeah, I think it helps. Once you have that experience, like the mindset is great because you can find yourself in those situations. Like I've been laid off twice in my career as well. And I know the past two years, like our industry got hit hard with a lot of layoffs across the board, right? You're diving into cool, exciting things like running a podcast. And I think that putting that pressure on yourself to do something like it's fulfilling and rewarding, which gives like a sense of purpose and keeps you motivated, like in terms of your ability to find work and earn income. But these opportunities also doing that work opens up opportunities. So I think like For people that have been in these like layoff waves and all they're doing is applying to roles at other jobs in the space, like they're now one of like thousands of applicants. And I'm always like, that's not the way to do it. If you actually like go out and just start networking hard and hustling hard and building relationships, people are, when they have an opening, they're going to come to you first before they post a listing. And that's really the way to do it. And I think like just getting that experience out of the way, you have a better story. And then especially when you do, if you do decide to fall back on like a regular job, your story and your interview is going to be much more compelling than anybody else because you'll be able to have something really meaningful about what you've been doing and what you've been working on. And that says a lot about like you as a person, as a candidate and like your approach to, to every day. I love that. I feel like we just had a whole separate podcast just about career choices. (laughs) Now, before we completely do sign off, did you have some marketing? Like, what would you tell yourself now if you knew then what you know now? Oh, my God. You know what? That's a tougher question for me from when I started, too, because the entire digital landscape has changed. Like, when I started, we were doing IO-based like display buys with AOL and MSN and Yahoo. So it's <laughs> that's a good callback. <laughs> AOL, the original. Like you, I probably would have just invested more money in some of these in, in Meta and, and Amazon for sure. I think I probably would have tried to spend more time learning the ins and outs of search, which I think is looked at often is like second fiddle to, to like wait on social. And I was a Google buyer when I was at Guthy Ranker, but I was focused exclusively on YouTube and I didn't do search. I had, there was someone else that handled that. But I think there's so much that you can pull out of it because you're learning about user behavior from what they're looking for, like just contextually. I think the contextual data is really important in terms of like a feedback loop to the front end creative. What are we seeing work well just in pure copy that you can then put on an ad that you're going to run on TV or on Instagram? How the same thing with like a landing page. I know there's been a lot of data that shows like if you match the search headline to the landing page, your conversion rate will actually go up because of the consistency. But that's really where you're going to get messaging optimization. 
And you're seeing like users behave when they're mid to bottom funnel, which I think is tells a lot about what someone is looking for, which can really open everything back up. I think it's like a, it's an area that has invaluable information. And I think brand owners and people look at acquisition and like, how do we acquire more customers? They don't value it in terms of the amount of time that they spend on it as they should. Yeah, absolutely. I think I Google something every hour, it feels like. I'll be watching a show and I'll be like, let me Google that. I wonder if it's amazing. You're the first one to say search, which, and you bring up so many really great points as to, wow, if you could really nail that down, because that's also, that's a lot of the, I don't, well, this is going to sound bad when I say that, but like when you look at marketing in general, you've got, if you're lucky, you've got a good budget. If you don't, you have to start to get scrappy and search is a quick win, not a quick win because it doesn't happen fast, but you can gain a ton of insights quickly from search that's really going to inform the free stuff that you're doing, right? From email marketing to content marketing. These are all things that take a lot longer, but if you're very well-versed in search, it's easy to hack those a bit so that they perform for you a little bit faster than if you didn't. I like that you said quick win, because I think I hear that a lot, that Google's a, or search is a quick win. And I think that just is a misunderstanding of what it is, because it's not like it appears to be a quick win when you look at the balance sheet, because it's all high intent customers and it gets like, exactly. it's click and it gets conversion. But I think that's like a big misconception. It's not a quick win. It's a lot of work. And I also want to clarify, I think it's not Google anymore. It's opened up to everything. Like it, it's so search optimization is so important because Google is the number one search engine. YouTube is the number two search engine, which is all video. Amazon, I believe is number three. So that's pure shopping with one of the most high traffic search bars, like online that you look at probably daily, or if you shop like I do on Amazon. <laughs> no, I have that problem. And then the next piece, which I think is really innovative, is that TikTok is becoming a huge competitor in search because people are looking for answers in video. And Google has that component, like you can search and they'll show you, you know, two videos that pop up for if you're looking for a recipe or you're looking for an explanation of something. But TikTok now, you can find and get visual like instruction on how to make a coffee cake if that's what you're trying to do like anything that you want to do it's become a really compelling search engine and i think like marketers need to take better advantage of of search within video it is amazing like i get all juiced up at talking about this as well too because so you just names the you named four right and i think a lot of times marketers will go into and say all right then i'm going to go on tiktok and that's what we're going to focus on but i take a step back and i'm like what's my overarching message let's take it like how to make a coffee cake right because i'm selling coffee cake that's essentially what i do so for tiktok i want to make that quick video of how to make the coffee cake right on youtube i want to have a bunch of different like recipes maybe for that that are a little bit longer than the one that i have on tiktok and then i want to write a blog that's all about like how you can have coffee cake at any holiday party. And that's going to be like, I think it's leveraging all of these different channels for the overarching message, not just focusing on like one specific channel. I have now taken up so much of your time. 
And we're way past talking about the agency, but I so appreciate this conversation. Thank you so much for coming on here and just kind of sharing your answers. Of course. Thanks for having yeah, me. Yeah, absolutely. Easily go over another hour. I, I definitely I, can. I know. I just looked at the time. I was like, oh my God, this is so veering off track. Thank you again so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. This was great. All right. It is key takeaway time now. And I've got three juicy ones for you. Number one, finding the right agency is all about you. Now, what I mean by that is that it really is all about you as the marketer and your brand. During our chat, Jesse mentioned that there are more agencies in existence now more than ever, which basically means that you're in the driver's seat in choosing the agency. So take a beat. What do you need and how long do you need that for? Are you looking for a short-term solve or a long-term plan for your company and brand? So take a beat. You've got the time to really think and evaluate, is this the right agency for me? Takeaway number two, there are different types of agencies. There are agencies that are focused on sales and digital marketing campaigns meant to really achieve goals like generating leads and driving conversions. Now, obviously, as marketers, this is what we want at all times, but not all agencies are focused on that. The performance marketing agencies you want to engage with if you're looking for that one-on-one comparison are performance marketing agencies. In short, there are no agencies that are a one size fits all. Just so just make sure that, you know, taking into account key takeaway number one, taking a beat and evaluating, right, who or what you need, and then finding that right agency because there are different types. So ask the agencies that you're interviewing, like what their specialty is, you know, what their sweet spot is. You know, you get a lot of agencies that are going to say, oh, we do it all. We can do it all. But mm, can you really do it all? Just because you can do it all doesn't mean that you do it all well. So ask them what they really, really knock out of the park. And the last key takeaway I have for you, be realistic with your expectations. I guess this is true with marketing and life and when you're vetting a marketing agency. When you're engaging with a marketing agency, it's important to remember that it's not magic. It's not a genie. You will not all of a sudden get leads if that's what your intention is. It takes time to see the outcomes of marketing efforts. And even then, think 30 to 60 days to make sure that it's headed in the right direction. It's not that you're going to have an overnight success, right? After all, if it was that easy, wouldn't everyone be doing it? It takes time to be strategic and you need to analyze the performance of the campaigns and tactics you're activating. Now, what insights did you gain from this podcast? Drop me a LinkedIn message or leave it in a review. A special thank you to my podcast producers, the amazing team at Content Allies. Thank you for spending your time with me today. Until next time, may the conversation flow, the laughter linger, and the outlook remain optimistic but grounded in reality. This is Katya signing off.